the cold November air clings to my face and fingertips. To my left is a steep hill adorned with vines and thick brush, a rich green glistening with moisture. To my right is the Sacramento River. I can't yet see the river through the thick green foliage, still damp from the early morning rain, but I can hear its strong current rushing past the smooth rocks at the water's edge. The path we walk subtly begins to change. The colorful autumn leaves retreat and give way to the deep crimson of rose petals now guiding our feet. The often busy river trail is now oddly quiet, leaving just the two of us to walk along it. The trees guarding the view of the river begin to recede as we reach a clearing off the trail. The rose petals, now softly illuminated by small candles, turn our feet to a bench facing the river. The humble flame of the candles seems motionless with no wind to inspire movement, like runway lights guiding us home. The bench is made of thick wood, old and worn. It is engraved with the memories of many who have visited it before, carving initials, immortalizing their young love. Some of the etchings are less sentimental than others, cries of love lost. The overcast sky underscores the multitude of candles surrounding the bench. As we move toward the bench, and she sits on the cold, damp wood, my heart begins to race. My stomach jumps up and creates a knot in my throat. My hands begin to shake, not from the cold, but from nerves and anticipation taking over every nerve in my body. All the words that I had so carefully prepared abandon me and leave me as speechless as the first day I had approached her. I kneel before her, the cold of the concrete of the bench's foundation biting through my jeans. My fumbling hands reach into my pocket to retrieve the ring. This is the moment I had waited more than two years for. I looked up into her eyes, again mesmerized by the flakes of gold sparkling inside the greens and blues of her iris. My lips part and the fog of my breath carries the words that changed my life forever. Will you marry me? That was a short story that I wrote in college when tasked with describing a place that held a significant memory. It may not be my best writing, but it is to this day my favorite uh, because I love writing or talking or anything that has to do with my wife. Not to mention, it is one of the only times in our nearly 19 years of being in a relationship that I was successful at surprising her. She is far too perceptive and cunning for me to be able to keep secrets for long. Now, episode two covered why we need brotherhood and how to go about successfully cultivating that relationship. During that discussion, I repeatedly referenced giving priority to the relationship with your spouse above that of your other friendships. So today, I want to talk about that relationship more in depth and illustrate how it was designed to model our relationship with God himself and the weight of that. So let's find out who God created her to be and who you ought to be for her and how the two can thrive together. I want to be very clear at the start of this discussion this episode is not intended to focus on wifely duties. We will not discuss 
what your partner should be doing for you before you do your part. And I reject the attitude of, if she would just blank, then I would do this, or I would be better at that. This is about what you can and should be doing as a husband or a partner. You are responsible to be the man and the husband that you are called to be. If you want your relationship to be better, then you must be better. That is what you control. Now, you'll notice most of what I use as guidance for these discussions is based on biblical scripture. Whether you share my faith and reliance on the Bible or not, you will find that the doctrine is sound and it will make you a better man if you lean into the wisdom that it has to offer. So with that, let's dive in. So let's start with talking about what God says about who a woman is. One of the first things the Bible says about a woman paints a great picture of who she is in God's eyes. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That sounds like a simple enough expression, and God made someone to help man. Sweet. But let's unpack that a little. The Hebrew word used for helper in this instance is azer. This word describes someone who provides powerful support and even rescues someone. The word is even used to describe God. David calls God his azer when running from Saul or facing his enemies. This places a woman in extremely high regard. She's not simply there to help you figure out dinner or encourage you in your endeavors. God literally looked down at man and saw that he couldn't handle well all that he had been given on his own. So God made a helper or rescuer fit for him. Fit for him meaning she is up to the task to act as an extension of God's protection, saving you, often from yourself and loving you, often despite yourself. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And for the purpose of this episode, that's really all you need to know about how God sees women and how incredibly grateful you should be if you have found one to partner with you in your life. So with that in mind, let's shift our focus to what it means to be the type of man that can honor this woman and what we must do as men to complete the vision God has for the relationship between man and wife. Now first I'd like to talk about uh, a Bible verse, Ephesians 5.25. that says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what does that mean to be able to love your wife in the same way that Christ loved us? Now right out the gate, that is a pretty significant calling for a man to pursue loving his wife with the same pure and as it clearly states, sacrificial love for his wife. Um, But what does that mean to be able to give yourself up for her? 
you know, in the way that Christ loved the church, uh, Christ died for us. So in the most extreme of circumstances, it is saying that a husband, in order to be in a successful and honorable marriage, must be ready and willing to give everything up to and including his life for his wife. Um, but beyond that, there is a sense that on a daily basis, you are giving yourself up over and over again and, and consistently choosing her over yourself. And as I was preparing this, I struggled to find the words to explain what that looks like. Uh, so again, I, I turned to the Bible and, and it lays out a pretty good blueprint of how you can accomplish this. Uh, so first I'll, I'll take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And there's really no way that you can be pursuing these things constantly and not be expressing that in the way that you, you love your wife. If you are pursuing righteousness, you are expressing a righteous love for your wife. If you're pursuing godliness, you are expressing a sacrificial love for her. You know, and it says right in here, faith and love. If you are faithful and loving to your wife, if you endure and you are gentle, you are doing all of these things and you are loving your wife the way that God has called you to. Now, another uh, simple one is Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And as men, even if you're not short-tempered, um, it can be a challenge to remember to be gentler than you may normally be. Um, some may struggle with that more than others. But remembering to be gentle is a good way to love your wife the way that Christ loved us and still does. Now, here's a verse from the Old Testament that may be difficult to apply in a practical sense, um, but I do love the spirit behind it, and I, I think it's important. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. And it says, If a man has recently married... He must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid upon him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. And now, I know it's not practical for us to just take a year off. Uh, and maybe it is for some, and congratulations, you should do that. Um, but for the rest of us, it is still important to prioritize and, you know, there is a lot of emphasis on that first year of marriage. Uh, you're really getting to know each other in, in a new way and building those skills as a husband um, and using those, those muscles, I suppose, uh, in, in your love and your expression of that in a way that you haven't done before or, or just in a new setting. Um, The operative phrase here is to bring happiness to the wife that he has married. Uh, it doesn't place any stipulations on that. There's no 
strings attached. There's no conditions that the wife must meet in this verse for, for the husband to, husband to be pursuing those things. It is his duty above all other things. I mean, and here it's saying even during a time of war, if a man is newly married, do not send him. Let him stay home and learn how to make his wife happy. Uh, so I think it's important that we, we take that to heart and recognize the calling uh, and how deeply God loves us and God loves our wives and wants to see that expressed in a way that is by his design. Um, and again, that goes back to to giving yourself up and not being concerned with what am I getting out of this or or what if she's not doing everything she can do to make me happy? That's not what we're talking about. It is your responsibility and your blessing to have the opportunity to focus and and learn the skill of making your wife happy that only you get to know. So I think these verses really paint a picture that it's you know somewhat intimidating but also incredibly humbling uh, to be granted this opportunity and that God would see us as worthy of even having this you know helper this rescuer so I think it's important that we reflect on these verses and really apply that and and take account of our marriage and see where we're succeeding and where we're falling short because unlike Christ's love for us we are all going to fail as husbands at some point and then again and again um it's just like anything in life and anything that you love that you practice you get better at but I did want to take this opportunity to place the lion's share of the responsibility squarely on men as God has called us to do, we must take up this mantle. And and just like the woman is there to, to embody God's protection and rescue us and save us, you know, we are also there as an extension of God's love and his gentleness and his compassion and his sacrificing love for her. So I hope that that paints a picture of what it is that we're trying to live up to and what it means to be a good husband and a good man. Now, I recognize that I leaned into biblical scripture uh, pretty heavy for going over this topic. Uh, now, some of you may really like that and some of you may kind of hate it. Um, and I'm certainly not going to apologize for it, but I do want to explain that uh, from my point of reference, when you're looking at what it means to be a good man and and how to be a good husband, that is the lens that I see the world through. So that is the best place I could possibly look to find these examples and explanations. Uh, so even if you are not someone who who lives your life according to the Bible or even bothers to read or attempt at that, um, even just in these, these verses in this context, I think you can see how it applies to you and how by holding to those principles um, outside of your belief system even, 
you'll see the benefits. So I just wanted to, to provide some perspective on that as we move forward. Now, the point of all this and what we're working towards is to have a marriage that thrives, where both you and your wife are happy and fulfilled and become the best versions of yourselves individually and as a couple. Um, so now that we've covered what that looks like in your pursuit and what it is that you need to be doing and the standards that you are striving for, uh, let's talk about what that thriving marriage looks like. Uh, and there's a quote from uh, Rufus, who is a Roman Stoic philosopher, and he says about marriage, where then this love for each other is perfect and the two share it completely, each striving to outdo the other in devotion. The marriage is ideal and worthy of envy for such a union is beautiful. Now, I really love this idea because it speaks to a sort of fun sense of competitive intimacy where you both strive to be more loving than the other. And the result is an abundance of love and this beautiful surrendering of your own ego. In fact, my, my wife and I were just talking about this practice recently on one of our routine drives where we just sip caffeine and talk about life. And I really cherish these drives. We were talking about how grateful we are that we've learned and grown to be able to approach our marriage as each other's number one advocate. I feel so abundantly loved considered and fought for by her that I don't feel the need to seek out what's best for me first. I can focus on loving her as best I can and in the way that she best receives love. Now, of course, I'm not claiming to have mastered this endeavor by any means. Uh, I still have selfish instincts and often consider my own thoughts or feelings before hers. Um, but it does help understanding the goal and the standards that we've laid out at this point. Now to close, I'd like to talk about one more Bible passage. Uh, and I'll break this up into pieces here, but it is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And I think we can probably all think of a point in our lives where we felt that way. Um, we fall down or, or you mess up and you don't have someone there to pick you up. Uh, but the beautiful thing about a healthy marriage is that that typically shouldn't be the case. Um, and I can't even count the number of times where I have fallen and made a mistake or just felt down in my personal life. And my wife has always been there to pick me up. So, so together you're unstoppable. And that's kind of the balance between the two. Um, you know, hopefully the times where you're both falling down at the same time are rare, um, but you get to take turns picking each other back up and pushing forward. And it continues. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And to me, this speaks to 
to rest. Um, and as a married couple, you know, especially as your marriage progresses and maybe you have kids or your life changes, uh, things can get hectic and it can be overwhelming and rest is an important part, not just, you know, as a person, but as a married couple. So being able to, to lie down, you know, literally, but also metaphorically and taking time to just enjoy peace and doing that together is such an important part of a thriving marriage and being able to do that together and value that time together is important. And lastly, it says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And this threefold cord is referring to you, you, the husband, your wife, and God in the midst of your marriage. So you would be the two outer cords wrapped around um, a God-centered marriage. And saying that that cannot be broken is absolutely true in this case. Um, I know things happen and marriages do end. Um, However, in, in this example that we're talking about, when you're pursuing these things that you should be pursuing and you have uh, God in your life and you are both pursuing these values, it is an unstoppable force. Uh, and not to say that there won't be challenges and even attempts to break up that force, um, but having that strength together and combining that relationship with your own individual and joint pursuit uh, of a relationship with God, it is the perfect recipe for a marriage that sets an example to your family, to your friends, and to the world, showing what that great marriage and and a reflection of God's love and the relationship that he wants to have with us and, and how we cherish each other. Uh, it's an important thing to have, and I think it's absolutely attainable. Um, but sometimes maybe we don't give it the thought that we should, or we get bogged down or get put into autopilot and just kind of coast through when things are fine. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who have been married longer for me and a lot of people who haven't been married nearly as long. Um, but I've been married, you know, over 16 years now. And there's multiple times throughout that span where it does feel like you're on autopilot. You're like, you know what? I'm, I'm a good husband. So I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And I guarantee that you will never reach a point where you can take stock of, of your performance as a spouse and a partner and a friend and not find a single place to improve upon. Um, so always be taking that time to learn more and and seek out you know scriptures and content like this and and people in your life whose marriages that you respect and value and look up to, and always be ready to learn from that. So I hope this provides some sort of insight into what you can do in your own life, um, whether you've been married for a long time or you're newly married or you're about to be married um, or even if you're just in a new relationship and wanting to to understand what it's supposed to look like um, 
So if you have any questions, as always, please reach out, hit me up on, on social media, or you can always send an email or connect with us on the Patreon account. Um, but thanks for tuning in, guys. Take care.